Welcome to the Layer East podcast. My name is Ron. I will be your host. Layer East is a co-working space located in Soho, New York. We exist to support New York tech communities, specifically in the areas of blockchain, big data, and AI. The purpose of this podcast is to provide valuable information on each of these verticals. My guest today is Marcus Lampadin. Marcus is a product-focused serial entrepreneur currently serving as the co-founder and CEO of Pryfina. We have a great conversation about data and how data is being used and stored. Hey, Marcus. Good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Ron? I'm doing great. So before we start, you want to say a few things about yourself, where you are, how you got here? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so my name is Marcus, Marcus Lampinen. I'm here in San Francisco. Um, I've been here about five and a half years now, um, originally from, from Europe, but also uh, have a great love for the city of New York, um, spend, having spent a lot of time there. Um, so I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm currently involved in my third company, working with data. Um, basically, uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, but essentially just, just creating a better future for data where we as individuals, we have more access to our own data, but also more value and um, more opportunities based on that. I worked in the past in industries such as FinTech and I worked with content rights before. Um, so I, I, like, I like huge problems, uh, problems that, that are almost too big. And I, I like kind of gnawing on them for, for a long time and kind of having hopefully some meaningful change in, in large industries. Wow, sounds super interesting. All right, so let's let's jump right into it. So uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about data. Like, where where is your data? Who has your data? Who's accessing your data? Can you talk a little bit about that? What exactly is the state of people's data? Not not business data, like a person's data. What is the state of their data currently? Yeah. Yeah, I think data is something that that's it's become almost like a topic, like a talking point recently. Like you've had data breaches, you've had uh, a bunch of different data privacy concerns, um, you've had lots of new regulation enacted around giving individuals more rights, um, and I, I feel like there's there's like there's countless of these proverbs that data is the new oil and data is blah 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 this and that. And, and, you know, I, I, have, I really struggle with those. I, I really do. Um, but I think there's kind of this, this um, on one side, there's this great attention around data, around the fact that, that we as individuals, our data is all over the place and we don't have access to it. And it's part true, but it's also partly not. That we were given uh, under, I mean, just in the last couple of years, these new policies emerged and they basically um, enshrined in law that this data that's out there on us, it's actually ours. Um, so now you have this new reality that, that um, since 2018, then all of this data about you, <clears throat> even if it's with companies like uh, some of the data giants, I mean, it's actually yours and you have the right to bring it back. Um, but I think there's also on the other side, there's kind of this, this, misconception that um, that all of these companies, they have all of your data, which is just just not true. Like certainly there's a couple of companies in the world that are very, very sophisticated as it comes to data and that you as, a, as an individual, you interact with a lot as well. Like for example, um, some of these consumer apps that you use a lot, um, then of course you're feeding them data all the time. So they know a bunch of stuff about you. But 
to the average company, I mean, the average company doesn't really know much about you. Like, I think it's true still today that the average um, website doesn't actually know the gender of their visitor. So if you start kind of from this, on, on one side, you have this huge uproar around, you know, there's so much data out there and, you know, uh, individuals get screwed and so on and so forth. But then on the other side, there's also lots of businesses that, you know, they, they don't really have, um, you know, they don't really have much of a clue. And I'll just give you a case in point that uh, we were looking through some of the data sets that, that are sold. So basically commercial data sets that are productized to actually be sold for, for example, advertisers to target individuals. And one of the things that we found was that uh, this gender field, uh, it was typically both male and female. And one of the interesting things is that, you know, obviously that that's, you know, that's a pickle, like how can that, that work? But then we realized that, you know, it's very hard to sell an empty data field. So if you have something, then I mean, it's a lot easier to sell. So this is kind of like, um, there's a lot more attention that's coming into this unequal distribution of data, but also this unequal distribution to the value of data that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not sure how many folks are, are really into data. Like I know that the Lair East community is, you know, that's one of the, the focal points and something that's discussed quite a lot. Um, but at the same time, if you start thinking about like the, the average person, um, then I mean, it's not necessarily something that people spend too much time on. Um, but at the same time, it's also something that if we think about the future, then that might change because data can actually create a lot of opportunities for you. It can actually create a lot of value, but then also inversely, it can be a dangerous thing um, for somebody else to control over you. Like, for example, I, I can't remember the exact number, but um, when, when this Equifax breach happened and then uh, individual social security data and so on and so forth ended up in the wrong hands, I mean, that's, that's probably not something that you want to see happen because you'll have a lot of folks that, that are going to be exposed to things like identity theft afterwards. So it's part of it's, it's great that we have a lot more of discussion around data, but I think it's also kind of that, that there's um, a lot of these things that, that end up being extremes, that, that individuals have no control, companies have all the data, and so on and so forth. And I think one of the coolest things about what we're doing is that you know, that's now changing, and we can actually craft um, a new alternative for individuals, but also effectively for the entire data industry going forward. That's cool. So what steps are you taking to move forward with that? What are you doing that's different than other companies? Or are you doing something that's non-existent right now? So we start from this, um, we start from this, this very premise of this discussion that we talked about. Um, so currently I, I uh, am the CEO of a company called Perfina. And what we're doing is we're actually giving individuals the tools um, to bring back this data from these data platforms. So all this data that's out there, we give you an easy console where you can just, you know, bring it back to yourself and what we call your own personal cloud. Um, so basically what you're doing is you're bringing in your Facebook data, your Google data, your, uh, you know, your, your LinkedIn data, your Amazon data, your Spotify data, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then you end up with, you know, a ton of data, which is great. But, you know, if you're a data geek like me, that's fantastic. But, you know, uh, odds are you aren't. Um, so then there's kind of this question of what do I do? 
And that's where we come in. So we help you uh, get access to services and applications that are tailored to you. So for example, um, we have a developer that, that's building an application that takes your um, streaming data from uh, Hulu, uh, Amazon Video, and then um, what's it called, Netflix. And then it, it comes up with the, the 10 most 10 movie recommendations that you should watch that you haven't seen. So basically, it just does something that, that we call um, you know, a very simple app that combines some of the data that you've got that's unique to you, like, you know, things that you haven't seen. Uh, and then on the other sides from the categories, like things that, that you like, and then it provides you a very, very simple recommendation. So that's not, I mean, that's not the same as selling your data, but that's remarkable for two things. One, um, it's completely personal to you. I mean, these are not recommendations of like movies that you might like. These are things that you likely will like and that you haven't seen. And then on the other side, it's for the developer. Um, it's something that they could never, ever do before. So it's not, about, um, it's not about millions of people. It's just about you. So this developer, for example, um, they can create an application um, based on these types of data sets. So who has a Spotify, or sorry, uh, Netflix, uh, Hulu, and, and Prime Video, for example, that data. And then they can write an app that would essentially be something that an individual can download and they can install and they can run. That becomes this type of personalized experience. And you know, this app is this app that, that I mentioned. This isn't unique. Like there, there can be an app that takes like uh, your streaming history from Spotify, and then I think we have one developer working on matching that to your your heartbeat. Uh, or your heart rate, so your current mood. Um, there's other things too, like taking your Amazon data and then predicting the type of things that you'll want to buy in two months and three months. Um, and then there's various different types of other things, like insight into your own data. Like you know, if you sleep poorly, then you know, do you make uh, worse financial decisions, for example? Um, but the point is rather that that because individuals can actually they can get control over this data, then we can actually open up an entirely new market. That if you have individuals with this data and individuals that have control over this data, then you can actually create new types of experiences and new types of applications that are um, very specific to individuals themselves and the things that they want and need. Um, but you don't have to go through... Um, I mean, you could do this as an independent developer. like As having a, the coolest idea for, for example, um, like this guy that's writing this... Um, what's it called, uh, Spotify heartbeat-based uh, playlist generator. I mean, that's something that, you know, whether or not that's, uh, you know, crazy or, you know, genius, we don't know yet. That's the beauty of the free market. Um, but it is also something like, you know, he's not working for Spotify. Um, he's not working for any of these. It's just something that he thought that, you know, this would be really cool to build. And then maybe there are 5,000 people like him that think that, you know, this would be really cool to use. So this is kind of the thing that we see that, by, on one side, giving individuals control over their own data, but then also democratizing access to build applications based on this data. Um, it might, I mean, in the short term, it's very simplistic. Like it's uh, better apps and better experiences, a better recommendation, so on and so forth. But longer term, we look at this as a way that if we can free all of this data and have individuals actually bring it to those companies and developers and service providers that can generate the most value from it. It can actually have um, 
a lot more of a fundamental effect on the overall marketplace where we gravitate more toward user value and focusing on that, that user experience um, as opposed to focusing on who has the most data. Because in this universe that we see in the future, then the answer to who has the most data, that's you as an individual. So I can request the, all my data from Netflix and they'll give it to me? That's right. So, I mean, uh, this is... This is something that only happened two years ago, and it started from Europe, that, that there was this regulation called GDPR, which is basically, um, it's a date, what's it called, general data protection regulation. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a bunch of onerous text, but basically one of the things that it does is it essentially makes clear that the data that, that you, you know, the data that you create and input into an app like Netflix, that's yours. So that also means that you have the right to request act, request a copy of that data. So if you go to Netflix, uh, you can go to your account, and then there's a section that says download your data or get a copy of your data. And then you click a button, and then it sends you this you know, incredibly hairy archive zip file of stuff. So it'll send you everything that you have. So I mean, just as a, as a case in point, like... Um, Chrome, for example, sources like Facebook, you get every single message, every single post, every single like, every single thing that you've ever, ever done um, with a location if you were on mobile and a timestamp, so where you were, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so it's not a question of like giving you the data that Netflix wants you to have. It's basically that you have data. I mean, Netflix has data that's yours, and they're returning it. And I think this is one of the fundamental shifts that this isn't about privacy. This isn't about anything like that. This is just that, you know, data is, it's yours and, and you don't have it right now. So of course, like, you know, you can do this exact thing that you can go to Netflix and you can download your data, you get this Harry file and so on. But what we do is we automate that for you so that you can do that easier. Also, you, you create um, a layer for developers to access where they can pull in not just Netflix, they can go Netflix, Facebook, Spotify, they can combine right. all of these data sources together and then, you know, come up with cool ideas. But I, think, I think what's really cool about what you're doing is that finally the individual can, can use the data that's being collected about them for their own good, right? So... If somebody builds an app that, that looks at my Netflix history and suggests uh, movies that I haven't watched that I might like or shows, Netflix is not doing that for me. They're just like, they're interested in throwing up whatever they want to push on me when uh, with what you're doing, that's kind of like turning that around saying, no, I, I want to watch what I would really like to watch. And by evaluating the data that I, they already generated, I can do that. So this is pretty cool. And there's also like, just from a practical point of view, I mean, it's not necessarily even about like, um, you know, what Netflix wants. It's just about like the, um, you know, there's, they, they don't have all of this data like you do. Like for example, um, how could Netflix have access to your heart rate? I mean, would you be willing to essentially give Netflix access to your heart rate when you're watching films? I mean, why, why would you? Like, why do they need that? So it's like basic things that, that you know, for example, um, even just, just Netflix. Like, Netflix does not have access to what you watched on Hulu. So it's just very basic things that, you know, because of that, their recommendations are never going to be as good. But then there's also this aspect that, you know, 
we're sort of living in a backwards world that why should Netflix, I mean, why should Netflix be in that business at all? Like they, they provide the content and they provide you the platform to watch content. Why should they also be uh, uh, an app developer on top that creates you, you know, different types of, you know, I don't know, recommendations, but also then beyond that, like different types of, uh, let's say, um, content catalogs or what have you that, you know, that that's sort of an area where you could very easily see that there's almost like a democratization uh, of essentially the data and then all of the value add use case that you can do on top. Like you could do, for example, like a, a Netflix and food pairing app, for example. Um, but I think there's also this aspect that, that, um, these consumer like facing entertainment applications, they're, they're easy to imagine because they're of course everyday life, but there's also other things like, um, for example, um, if you, let's say, book different types of flights, like for example, now with uh, COVID-19, then I have a couple of tickets over the summer that I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, do they exist? Do they not exist? And so on and so forth. Um, if you essentially just had your own intelligent app that, that had your data in terms of your past flight booking history, your schedule, um, as well as your budget, I mean, that app could do what I'm doing now, what I'm spending hours and hours on far more intelligently because it's just mechanical. Like I do not want to pay $13,000 for a flight back and forth, um, you know, a crappy flight back and forth. Um, and that's, that's not rocket science. I don't need to kind of go through a, a site over and over and over again to do that. Um, so it's also kind of these, but then there's also other type of aspects that, um, Fundamentally, we've seen this type of um, opening up of marketplaces elsewhere where, for example, if you take um, uh, mobile phones and you take Apple, that Apple is a fantastic developer of, for example, the iPhone. But if you start thinking about the apps that you use on the iPhone, how many of those has Apple actually created? And then there's this realization that, you know, well, it's not Apple's job to create the best-in-class app for every single vertical. That they're, they're essentially the hardware company, and then they create the operating system. But if you start kind of thinking about that, you know, to other comparisons, then um, you take like Netflix. Then all of the pipeline, the intelligence pipeline, Netflix—that's all Netflix. That nobody else really has access to build on top of it. Like, of course, there's some applications, but very few. And then when you start thinking about like not just Netflix, but let's say movie movies overall or content overall, then one of the things that we do in this, this layer that you mentioned is that we essentially make it easy for developers to essentially access um, data that's more holistic. That, for example, Netflix is, Netflix is part of... Uh, just a category around content, which then has streaming services, but it doesn't have just Netflix. It also has all the other ones. And then it has different types of content, like, for example, Spotify and, and so on and so forth. So it, it, becomes, um, it becomes much more um, uh, cohesive and more, much more holistic. But then I should also mention that, that one very fundamental tenant in our model is that, you know, yes, it is the individual's own data, but it is also the individual's control that it is ultimately always the individual that chooses what they give access to and what they do not. And the more that you give access to a developer, for example, then the more controls you have to have. Like for example, if a developer takes um, my, my sleep patterns and my financial spending patterns and the content that I view to create like a, a lifestyle guru app, 
for example, then I am most likely not comfortable giving away that data. But I would be very comfortable in installing an app into my own personal cloud where the data actually never leaves me, that it just essentially runs in my own, um, my, my own environment, so to speak. Um, and actually, one of the things that, that we're, um, we've realized in the last couple of months working with some of these use cases is that it's not just about the data that, that these apps use, it's also the data that these apps generate. And if they run with you that they're not shipping off data anywhere else, actually, what data they generate ends up being something that you can you know, get even more value of because you're not now... I mean, you're, you're not just basically a data consumer, but you're also a data generator in your interactions with these types of apps. But that's kind of broad strokes. But I think it's also a really, really cool time to see that. If you think about the, the app market uh, with the iOS and then uh, the App Store, then first there were lots of these um, you know, out there applications, lots of these, these uh, applications that Apple did themselves. But if you look back, then where we are today, then most of the, the most used apps, they're not Apple's, they're somebody else's. And I think that that's going to happen in the data market too, where giving developers more and more access, then the developers, they will gravitate toward their client and then they will build things that their clients actually want. Whether or not they have 10 clients or 10 million, that, that as long as they're very focused on that, as opposed to you know, kind of locking up the data and then maximizing that, but really focusing on the utility, I think it's also something of um, something of a no-brainer, to be honest. That uh, you know, there's a lot of cool things that you can do with data, but data isn't really accessible right now. So, if it becomes accessible, we should be able to see a lot more innovation too. Yeah, it sounds like this is like a natural evolution. Um, most adults have had a lot of data that's been collected about them, years and years worth of data. And what you're doing is Facebook collects data, Google collects data, Amazon, Netflix, they're all collecting data. They're not sharing data with each other. So they can't come to the same conclusions that a developer might come to if they're using your platform where they can stitch all of these different data points together and come up with other scenarios that might be valuable to the user himself. So uh, first, one question I wanted to cover, I wanted to make, make it clear. So I noticed that you guys are really into encryption and privacy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So this is also something like when we're talking about these combined data sets, when we're talking about you know, a lot of data that, that has a lot of value, then of course we have to have a controls. That not only is the, the user always in control and they consent to everything that, that's accessed. Like we as a company, we do not have any access to the individual's data. That just stays with them in their own account. Um, right now, we're using AWS in the background to essentially store their data. In the future, that's going to be something that the users can themselves choose that do they trust AWS more than they trust Azure or somebody else. Um, but ultimately, what we're doing is we're, we're making that data. Um, easy to access, but not just the data, but also the consent. So meaning that, that the individual has to have consent that's put into this data as basically another attribute that says what they consented to. And that's something that's super important because um, individuals don't generally like that, that you kind of give them one premise for accessing their data and then you end up doing something completely different with that. And then, you know, generally that ends up blowing up at some point because, you know, 
um, that that was basically a false premise of the relationship. Um, but those are kind of the things that we're baking in. And this is where we've, um, we've developed a, um, an open model, which we're still developing with our partners, that has different levels of consent and different levels of privacy and different levels of, of anonymity that the user can have. Because you know, if you're about browsing Nike.com for a shoe, then does Nike actually need your identity? I mean, what do they do with that? So there's kind of also these types of things that you can get a personalized checkout experience while remaining truly anonymous. And that's something that, that we do through um, these types of zero-party data profiles. So it's basically like uh, you know, just a string of information about what type of purchaser you are. Um, that includes like a name, uh, what's it called, an age bracket, an income bracket, some of the, the past purchases that you've made, but it does not uh, contain a location, it does not contain a name, and it does not contain anything that's personal. That's rather that, you know, how does Nike.com give you the best recommendations? Um, there's a lot of things that we're doing around um, the actual sharing of data um, because as long as we're staying in the user's personal cloud and the apps run there, that's easy to control. That's an encrypted environment and data is not going anywhere. It's all installed in this, uh, this personal cloud. But then when we start thinking about like sharing data with, let's say, third-party sites where you're volunteering data in a certain interaction, then there's a lot of things that, that we have to do as it comes to reproduction of data. Like what if somebody copies something? And this is something where we're using um, different techniques, like, for example, differential privacy, but we're also using some digital watermarking and so on and so forth. So that, you know, if Wells Fargo were to, you know, take your application and then open a thousand accounts with that one application, then it would also, you know, theoretically, it could say that, you know, Marcus provided this information for the opening of an account at 1113, you know, EST on this day. And then, I mean, if they were to open lots of accounts, I mean, yes, they could still do that, but it would be very clear that, you know, I did not consent to that. So there's different types of approaches that we have to have. I think one of the fundamental things that we have in our model is that we're distributing the data footprint, meaning that your data is only in your own personal cloud. It has nobody else's data, nobody else's access. And that means that if you have a million users and their data is not pooled in one place, but rather you're distributing the risk into individual containers, so to speak. And that means that, you know, the motivation to hack a database with 103 million Americans' data, you know, that might be X. But what if you had to hack every single user individually? You know, that starts to become quite labor-intensive. And maybe, maybe you still do it, but at the same time, it's not such a big crosshair in terms of what to go for. So there's a lot of things that come into this. Um, but at the same time, one of the cool things about our model is that just starting from this individual-first premise, then we can kind of flip the script, not just in um, the way that, that data access is kind of handled, but also in the fact that you know, we start from an individual relationship, that we're only talking about one person and one person's data. And then we build a universe around that, which you know, it sort of addresses that, that security aspect also elegantly, that we're minimizing the risk because you're not pooled together with everybody else, but rather it's just, you know, it's just your own house, so to speak. Right. So your architecture is inherently safer because you're compartmentalizing each person's data. Um, so then almost like as a side effect, it's more secure than a normal mm -hmm. database. 
And of course, it doesn't mean that we don't have to do things like, you know, um, like all the encryption and access controls and everything absolutely perfectly as well, because of course we do. And there's a lot of things that, that are not trivial around uh, cryptography and then access to some of these strings of data. And then how can you make sure that you can't retrace it back to an individual and so on and so forth. Um, but I would say that those are also an area where there's a lot of folks that are far smarter than I am within our team, but also then within the industry that have, you know, really, really great solutions to these. Like Google has released their, their differential privacy libraries publicly as open source. So those are things where you can add self-canceling noise to any type of share of data where, you know, you can look at it. You can read it, you can interpret it, but you have no idea where it came from, essentially. That there's lots of cool things that are kind of happening in this industry. But I would say from our point of view as a, as a, as a company, we're very much a data company, that we are a data technology company. And I think that's also where having this... Um, and, and on top of that, we are a commercial open source company, which also means that, that we get to collaborate with a lot of fantastic developers and partners around some of these layers on top. Like there are already a couple um, couple companies that, that we're working with that are great at things that like, for example, encryption. Um, there's, for example, Polyverse uh, up in Seattle that does server-side encryption and they're, they're fantastic at what they do. So this is also where this open collaboration is fantastic because you know there's a lot of data out there and then just kind of organizing that in a meaningful way and focusing on the developer that's already a huge undertaking and that's already where we need a lot of um, you know a lot of this this developer community but it's also something that, that we kind of generally want to foster more and more collaboration around because this is not this is not a one company type of um, vision to build it does require more so you're thinking long term, it's almost like you're decentralizing application development so that more, like you said, smaller, maybe single person or two person teams can develop really interesting apps. And, and you're giving uh, developers that platform where they can easily access the data. The second thing I was thinking about is that moving forward, so once you start collecting the data that's being um, so let's say someone builds an application on your platform. And like you said, that application starts also building data. So then eventually, after a while, it, that data will only be available on your service. It won't be available anywhere else. So if someone has an application that's using Spotify and your heart rate and, and it's collecting this data and it's storing it in my own personal cloud, eventually that data, that data set that's generated is only going to be there. It's not going to be anywhere else. So it'll become more valuable as time goes on. The collection of data will become more valuable, right? That's right. Um, and here it's incredibly important to stress that, that this is where this open collaboration and open source element comes in. Because we cannot move from companies dominating data to a new company dominating data. That, that does not work. So when you're talking about like this, this value um, being generated, then it is generated with the individual. Like what we're proposing in our model uh, is that let's replace the, the data, like the centralized data platforms, let's replace them with individuals themselves. And let's have individuals have the ability to carry this data with them and make it meaningful for developers to build on top. 
Like we've had over 15,000 developers um, essentially collaborate with us so far. And the reality is that right now, as we're still building this, I mean, this is things that, you know, we have to give you access to build. But then in this future that, that you know, you were talking about like how individuals have this data, the reality is that this is in the user's own personal cloud, uh, not just the data, but also the software. So if you want to build on top of it, we can't stop you. So it's the benefit of that, that you could plug different types of data sources to it. You can create different types of apps on top of it, but you don't have to go through us. You can just go directly to the user. And I think this is kind of where um, our approach is that we need to be a value add participant, that we need to make it easy. We need to kind of, um, you know, like for example, for the application developers, we need to make it easy to essentially, you know, put this up together, like starter kits, SDKs, and different types of things. Um, but at the same time, you know, we can't be an inhibitor. But if they want to do something completely irrespective of us, fantastic, go for it. That this is one of those things that um, in one of my past companies, then one of my mentors, he would always say that that, you know, people go around you not because you block them. Um, but rather because you're not not adding enough value, that people will, I mean, they will go toward that that path of least resistance and highest value. And either it's you, or then it's not you. But you can't block them go from going around. They they will do that. And I think especially for developers, it's something that you know um, the value prop of not having to do a deal with Facebook and Netflix and and so on and convince the user to give your company all this data. I mean, that should be quite high. But of course, our ambition level is not, not just that. It's essentially just to make, you know, make the development of these applications just super, super simple. That you, know, you get access to very rigorous data. You get essentially this beautiful GraphQL framework where you can you know, search and retrieve the right type of data sets. Um, not any more than that and not any less, but absolutely the right things. Um, but at the same time, also this environment that if you want to do like... Um, if you want to create an app that is incredibly data rich, like let's say uh, Marcus's, um, Marcus's photos on a location timeline, like where I've been the last eight years and with pictures of that. I mean, that, that would be incredibly sensitive. Like I, I would never give somebody access to that. So part of our value prop is as well that if you can create a, an environment for this, that you could do like a timeline and review with geo tags and so on and so forth. Then the only way that you could run this is that if it essentially it doesn't leak at all, it just stays with the user. It's sort of like you know one of the things that I have in the back of my head is it's sort of like back to the floppy disk era that that you know you get like a floppy disk and then you install it and then you run something on your PC. And that's um, you know um, you and I were chatting earlier about like where this um, you know where the the internet came from and how it used to be more distributed more peer to peer and so on and so forth so sometimes you also notice that there are these pulls back to basics that you know if you could just install you know simple software locally you wouldn't have to worry about like where everything else is happening what's connected and so on and so forth there's an interesting appeal in that and I think it's also something like from a um, developer point of view that if you wanted to create some really, really cool app, um, but you wanted to take away all of those frustrations and concerns about spying and data and will this come back to bite me in the ass in the future and all these different things, you know, that's one way that you can do it, that you essentially just hand the user the floppy disk and then they run it. And then that becomes, uh, 
you know, becomes something super, super practical. But it is, um, it is interesting to kind of think about those. And I think essentially once we're going into the 2020s, uh, where I know that portable data is becoming a huge priority, um, especially in different areas, like for example, Europe, where the regulators are pushing for it really hard. Um, then there's also this notion that could we essentially bring back the floppy disk, just, you know, update it by 30 years and make it, you know, a little, kind of give it its second life. And put it in the cloud, right? So it's kind of floppy right. in the cloud. That's right. <laughs> That's a good analogy. That's excellent. And I, and I think, um, I think you're on the right path and I think it, there's, there's a certain evolution and we went through, I think about 10 years since like, the domination of, of Facebook slash Google collecting tons of data and the data becoming the product, you becoming a product. And, and people are very aware of that. Governments are aware of that. And now the paradigm is starting to shift. And what you're offering is for people to hold on to their data. And like you said, you don't know anything about their data. Everything is encrypted. It's not like you can reach in there. Even if the government asks you, says, hey, give give us Ron's data for the last two years, you say, here it is, but it's encrypted. Yeah, and I mean, in our model, we wouldn't be able to do that because the way that we would get your data is like everybody else, we ask you. And then you say, Marcus, you know, like, like no way. So there's also this aspect that, that it's almost like a, a decentralized power structure that at the end of the day, I mean, uh, it's an ask and, a, and, a, and an answer, but it's ultimately you that always stands for the answer. Here's an interesting question. Let's say I, I use your service and um, after like a few months, I decide that I want to go off the grid. I want to get rid of all of my data. Can I just make it disappear? You can. Um, all of the data, I mean, all of this is in your, con your uh, well, I mean, all of this is under your own control, which means that, that you have the right to do anything you like with it. Like, you know, literally we can't stop you. Um, so we have functionality in the product that allows you to, um, to um, manage all the data that's in your own personal data cloud. All of the data that you shared from your personal data cloud, it allows you to revoke permissions and delete copies and so on and so forth. And it also allows you to delete your entire history. But this is where we come, kind of come back full circle to the start that, you know, your data is also out there. That, that basically what we're offering you short term is a copy of all of it and a centralized copy where you can get value from this. But we cannot do anything about the companies that, that have data. Because it's also more granular than just kind of talking about um, data as a singular, that there are different types of data. There's essentially the data that you input to a data platform. There's the data that they do. That I mean, there's a data of how you use the platform. There's the data of what they derive from how you use the platform. And then there's all their secret sauce that they put into that. And you do not own all of that. You own essentially your own contributions and that's yours. But, you know, companies like Facebook, I mean, they're incredibly sophisticated in what they're doing. And it's also not fair that the things that they've invested in and they've created, that they would hand that over to you. Um, but I would also say that, that for us, it's really not about... Um, it's really not about kind of the, um, the current data platforms and, and 
kind of railing against them in any way. That we see that this can also be an incredibly cool model in the future for those data platforms because even they, I mean, they all care about their customers at the end of the day. They all want to provide a better service because that's that's oftentimes, um, hopefully always the way that business works, that if your customers get the most value, then you're also around in 10 years. Um, so this is also something like, yes, a few companies in the world have incredible amounts of data, but could they have better data? Could they have more relevant data? Could they have, you know, better information about you? And And I don't, I don't like to get into the advertising market because the advertising market is also incredibly complicated. But just think about it this way, that, that those data platforms that have a ton of data for you, do they always give you the right ad? And if they don't, then you know maybe their data isn't perfect either. Right. Okay, I'm going to segue now. We're going to change gears. And uh, can we talk for a few minutes about what's happening with... Um, COVID-19 and the data that's being collected, how are things, are things changing now or it's, what's, what's happening as a data? Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, it's definitely a remarkable time um, that, that we have right now. And one of the things that, that governments have and private companies have invested in is this tracing technology in terms of just how to make sure that, you know, um, that, 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 you know, this virus can be tracked and that we can isolate cases and we can treat them, which is fantastic. I mean, first and foremost, saving lives is obviously the, the priority. Um, I think it's also shifted the conversations and data a little bit um, that, that in, in, in many different ways. Like, for example, generally before the, um, the pandemic, because it, it is not just a um, health scare, it's also a very real economic um, disaster right now. Um, then there's also the kind of this, this notion of how people use data and how companies use data, that it was before the crisis, it was a lot more about like, um, how do we increase our relevance? How do we generate more business? How do we grow? So on and so forth. And then right when the crisis hit, especially in, in the U.S. and in Europe, then it became the reverse. It was about how do we respond to the pandemic? How do we respond to the changing landscape and so on? But the importance of data, it was absolutely clear on both sides of the coin that this notion of data, it, it's always going to be a priority because the more data you have, the more intelligent decisions you can make, whether or not you're making them in... Um, you know, and, and like a rosy situation or like, a, you know, a pandemic. Um, I think some of these tracing apps um, and, and so on and so forth, I think a lot of people are waiving their um, privacy concerns. And I, I mentioned that, that we're not a privacy company. And, and we're, that's right, we're not. Um, we're a data company that, that essentially allows a user to exercise their own right as it comes to um, who they share their data with and, and uh, who they do not. But... I think a lot of discussions that I've seen lately, they kind of go that, you know, the priority is to save lives. You know, um, I will, you know, almost like I will, I will acknowledge that my privacy concerns are secondary to saving lives. And, you know, um, I think in a black and white scenario, that's true that, that, you know, but then it's also not black and white. And I think one of the things that we'll see is that, a lot of these new novel innovations around tracing and then COVID this and that, then they're probably going to really fan this discussion that your data is out there. Because if your data starts becoming even more out there, 
um, then I mean that that's not going to make it easier in a year or two. So this conversation around like where all your data is, it's probably going to come back quite quickly. I will also say that one of the things that I've seen um, just in different types of roles is that it's not really about the, um, the, the market leaders and, and then the primary use cases, meaning that, that if Google and Apple create this fantastic um, tracing app that they deploy that ends up saving lives, um, that's not necessarily the... Um, that's not necessarily the area that, that is the most risk. It's rather all of the misuse and malicious intent that, that you can add on top of that. That if you start creating those types of uh, applications, now I think those two have done a terrific job, uh, although the jury is still out in terms of how it plays out longer term. But um, there is still this notion that, you know, um, it's oftentimes the, the malicious uh, behavior that ends up uh, foiling these types of um, these types of technologies, and it doesn't take a lot. Um, so you come back to you come back to, for example, some of those examples that uh, you know you did have Equifax's database with over a hundred million Americans' um, information, sensitive information that was hacked. And yes, they could have done a lot, a lot of things better. But the reality is that, that when you're centralizing a lot of power into new technologies and a lot of data, then that always runs an inherent risk. I will say that the, the thing that's probably quite cool about these, um, these applications themselves is that a lot of them, they run on edge networks, meaning that, that they have a lot of code um, that ends up essentially only working locally on your phone. And it means that that when they have a match in terms of like somebody was in contact with somebody that was a you know a, a positive for COVID nineteen, then those alerts can only happen basically in the nodes without ever coming to the the central server. And I'm a huge believer in edge networks. Like if you think about our model, our model is basically an application of edge networks where everybody has their own cloud, and then all the intelligence it's in the cloud as opposed to the central server because our central server is in fact actually quite dumb. It doesn't know anything about you. Like your, your own node is far more intelligent. So I think it's also probably one of those things that we'll see a technological advance in just the edge networks, that we have a lot of this a very, very powerful computation that we can run without the central server ever actually seeing it. Now, I think it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, of course. Um, but I think it's something that that one of the things that you see in these types of situations is that it kind of has a pendulum effect that people are very vocal about their data and their privacy and all sorts of different things. And then they kind of goes back and forth, but it is always in swing. And I think right now we're thinking about, you know, the response to the pandemic, which is absolutely what we should, but building out of this pandemic, I think that there's also a lot of applications that you can do where you can look at that, that, how can we maximize the value and the utility of this data? And how can we create something that we didn't have? Because I don't believe in going back to the way things was. I don't think that that's a possible and I don't think that that's even wanted. So looking at, at for example, what we can do as developers and what kind of innovations we can expect, then I think that that's one of the cool promises that we have that, you know, we're... we're we're now more and more aware of the data that, that we have. And I think increasingly we have individuals that also realize that, that, that 
you know, they have ways that they can actually, you know, benefit from this, not necessarily monetarily, but rather that, that they can actually bring it back and then they can access certain types of things in a better way. So one of the big questions for me is that if we think about like what the rebuilding is going to look like after COVID-19, then um, I expect that we're actually going to see a lot of innovation, a lot of really, really cool things coming out of it. Um, definitely, it will take a year or two once we actually start getting there. Um, but if, I mean, I, I, I was involved in, in launching my last company in, uh, well, basically just in the middle of the financial crash. And I think that's one of those areas where if you can strip away everything else, that's, you know, all of the unnecessary stuff, then oftentimes you have this focus, this pure focus on like the fundamentals. And that can be a very, very healthy thing. But, you know, it is definitely something where, you know, um, it's, it's an, it is so incredibly difficult to predict what's going to happen in two or three more or four more months in terms of this. But as we saw kind of in that, that shift in the market about a little over two months ago, then data is not going anywhere. It's just essentially the applications of it that, that change. But data is something that is almost a constant, constant in everyone's life uh, and will be in the future. And I also think that it's a great tool um, to solve these problems. I think of it in terms of necessity is the mother of invention. So now we're kind of like in this mode where let's save as many people as we can and let's develop these new technologies to help us do that. And out of that is born a new paradigm or some new techniques I read that Google and, and Apple are using, instead of using GPS on mobile devices, they're using Bluetooth. So it's not very traceable and, and it's very difficult for someone to piece all the data together and say, it's not impossible. I read, I read a, a thesis that said that it's not impossible for another application to pinpoint where the Bluetooth made a connection and then, and then kind of figure out if two people were at the same spot at the same time. But I think they're making it more difficult. And I think these are innovations that after, after we get over this, once there is a vaccine, then this type of technology can be used elsewhere. Maybe not in, yeah, right? not in things that I was thinking about. Um, because I'm, I'm really into privacy. You know, everyone wants to to have privacy, even though living in a digital world, it's, it's, it's a give and take. You give some privacy away, you get some value back. So I don't think it's, it's a black or white situation, but I would feel more comfortable if you said to me, hey, we're taking all the measures we can take in order to make your data as safe and as private as possible. It would make me feel better. Out of this, we're going to get some innovations that would, even within the next five years, we're going to look back and say, oh, this originated here in this point in time. And if you, if you look at those, like, you know, if, if these companies are able to do that advanced contract tracing using Bluetooth and essentially data that, that never leaves your device, I mean, shouldn't we just model everything based on that? And this is like our, our view is, of course, incredibly selfish that it shouldn't like because you, you can't put all your data on your phone. Your phone doesn't have capacity for that. Like just to give you a, an idea, we're, we're close to 100 million lines of uh, JSON code for an individual's data set. So that doesn't fit on a phone. Um, but that being said, the logic is just the same. That, that, you know, if it can run on your phone or your own pro private cloud, then why should it ever, I mean, why should you run it through a centralized server? And that's something that I'm, 
I, I've been long on for a long time, but I think this will kind of usher in as a catalyst that, that if we can technically do this with better results, then I mean, better is better, right? And if it kind of gives you better privacy and better, you know, security and all of those as a, you know, an added, added benefit, then I mean, fantastic. But at the end of the day, if, if these companies, you know, if they're able to kind of model these advanced needs based on these nodes, I mean, I, I think that that should be a great testament that we can use that as, I mean, we don't have to be Google or Apple to do that, but we can use a lot of the things that they have. Like, for example, you can use a phone because phones are, I mean, they're, they're fantastic operating systems, but at the same time, they're also, they're also such that people interact with more and more and more. So can we have apps that just stay there, that, that don't leak all over the place. So those are things that I'm, I'm quite excited about. And I think the technological disruption is one that, that will also come from this, that you'll see essentially this, that you can now actually process, you can record, consume, but also process so much data locally in a device that why do you need to send it somewhere else? I mean, if sending it somewhere else means that you wait 600 milliseconds to get a response back, that's 600 milliseconds that you could also just spend doing something else, not, not creating a horrible UX. So I think there's a lot of those things that come. Um, but I am excited about this, um, this, this, what I see as a developer mobilization that, that we're working with, uh, small communities right now. I mean, we have some tens of thousands of developers that, that we've interacted with so far, but at the same time, I see that, that, you know, Oftentimes, early adopters, I mean, developers are oftentimes great early adopters. And then when they see essentially a best way of doing things, I mean, yes, if it also gives them more and more data and then better chances of creating apps, but if it also philosophically fits into the, the let's say, the principle that they buy into, which is this user ownership and individual control and almost this distribution as a, as a fact, then those are things that I'm very optimistic on. Of course, they take a lot of work. Like at the end of the day, um, most consumers, they, they um, gravitate toward apps that have great utility and that utility has to be our focus. Um, but at the end of the day, the more data, then the more utility you can create. So that, that seems to be the winning formula uh, for essentially just, just making sure that this future that we have is one that we would actually like to see. Excellent. This has been awesome. One thing that I that I wanted to add is that I really admire the fact that you guys are open sourcing your your code because I think what you're building is pretty valuable. And a lot of other companies would say, oh, this is this is really our golden goose. Nobody else can look at it. And this is ours and we're calling on to it. I think by kind of like letting it go and putting it out there. Um, you're also putting your per, your personal um, thoughts about how software should be developed in the future. But I think it's also like to be fair. I think it's also a very selfish thing for us. Like I, I think it is fundamentally, principally, the right way to go. But I think it's also something that I don't see us being able to do this any other way. And I mean that doesn't hopefully take away any of the you know the the proverbial halo that we get in building this, but. At the end of the day, I see this as requiring a high degree of consumer and developer trust. So I don't think that a proprietary system that one Silicon Valley company controls, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I don't think that that really speaks to, you know, that level of trust. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a very practical choice. Because I think, 
I think it's certainly possible to raise a couple hundred million dollars and hire, you know, a few hundred very high level engineers to, to develop this really high level system. I mean, that's how it's been working for the last 20 years in Silicon Valley, right? That's how things have been done. Um, I think things are changing. Even Microsoft is very, very open about uh, open source right now. I know Google does a ton of stuff. They open a lot, a lot of things that they do. So I definitely think this is the future uh, of, of developing software. I think open source is where it's at. This has been really great. I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're doing something very powerful, and I think you're going to be very successful. I appreciate that. And this is a, definitely a great chat. So this is also something that, that anybody that, that's listening to this and, and wants to kind of figure out what cool, crazy app you could build. I mean, that's one of the things that I always really enjoy seeing that, that, you know, there are folks that are far smarter than I am that have, for example, an idea about how you could combine, let's take, um, you know, like, uh, um, the, the things that you read, um, with, for example, your movement data to create better recommendations for, for example, your workouts. So those are things that, that you know, please um, do reach out to those and I'll, I'll help you build them because those are things that, that you know, we, we don't, we're not going to do this ourselves. But this is something where we just need all of those wacky, crazy, genius ideas uh, to see what's possible. A lot of developers kind of want to scratch their own itch. So they want to develop something for themselves that's really valuable. And then someone else is like, oh, I need this too. And then hundreds of people are in there. And those are, those are really cool. I mean, once you have those organic things that, you know, I just built it for myself and these 13,000 people, they, they like it too. I don't know why. I mean, those are always fantastic stories. All right. Sounds great. Um, and um, please be safe. I hope everything ends very soon. No, likewise. But I mean, thank you, Ron, for the chat. 